Hi, Kevin. What was your first computer? So my, my first computer was, um, yeah, so if you don't count this strange German VTech learning computer thingies, then it was, um, so in German we say it 486er okay. or 86. Yeah. Uh -huh. Four eight, okay. This was uh, it's actually a beefy machine. So 486 was, uh, was crazy. This was the one computer before Pentium, right? Yeah, exactly. And then uh, after the, so it was back then, it was not really, was the old computer from my dad. I got it and mostly, mostly for, for playing DOS games or something, I think. And then after this, I got my, my own, which was a Stellaron based system. So your first contact with the computer, so you played games. So the, the, what you did the very first time as you saw a computer, st started playing games? Um, yes. So that's the first thing I remember, but, uh, my father told me, uh, like when, uh, I was even, even younger, maybe three years old or so, and he had like a, a terminal system or something at home. I was just like typing on the keyboard and mm -hmm. seeing the text on the terminal and having fun with it. But that's, uh, I don't recall it personally. Yet. Hey, cool. So who is your, your father is a programmer? Uh, no, no, zero. So he's, um, um electrician mm -hmm. yeah uh, had, a, had an electric electric company but uh, he was always very interested in, in technical stuff uh, also in um, oh, what's the english term of it um hacker <laughs> uh, ra radio radio controlled cars actually oh cool so so, so, so so he's actually a true hacker right yeah but but on the on the electronic and mechanical level more yeah, sure. but yes yeah yeah cool and uh, yeah he also like uh, Back then, more, but still today, like um, did uh, professional uh, like competitions with the radio controlled cars, like races and championships and so on. Oh, really? Races? Yeah. How does this work? So pretty briefly. So there is a real professional scene behind it. So yeah. you have a, you have different race race tracks all over the world. Actually, there mm -hmm. are different leagues, like German league, European World Championship, different classes depending on the size, depending on the on the models, on the power of the engine and so on. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, you like have a real professional technique stuff behind it. So they have like a transponder inside the car. So the, um, the labs get recorded correctly and so on. It's uh, like a real race. Yes. And he was all over the world with it. Like he was in the world cup in, uh, Beijing on Hawaii. Uh, hey, it is great. Two, two years ago, we actually went to a world cup. I was just like as a guest there in uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> nice and and is this off road or is it on the road? What? Uh, yes, both. So um, uh, back then he was mainly focusing on uh, on road, mm -hmm. um, on road with um, fuel engines, mm -hmm. and uh, nowadays he's more into off road with electric engines. Oh, cool! But yes, you have you have like those two classes. So so it means that your father is playing all the time, right? Yeah, so uh, at one point uh, he stopped his uh, his uh, electric company and and actually switched uh, to a like um, it's this kind of a sales position or like leading sales position in uh, uh, one of the companies that um, distributes those cars in Europe. Mm -hmm. So they are most of them come from Japan nowadays. Okay, and uh, yeah, therefore now he made his had made his hobby uh, to his job. Okay. Yeah. And 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 what brands are the cars? So, what's the names? So I remember from my so, youth that was Tamiya. What I remember? Yes, yes. And Tamiya exists. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. What what else? So there's Tamiya and. So uh, like he's um, working for working with uh, Mugen Zaiki, which is Zyke, one of about. the uh -huh. most professional ones. Yes, it's not it's not in the normal hobby sector. I would say it's just okay. in the in the competition sector. Um, and back then we were doing a lot of, uh, Kyosho with another one. Yeah, also this, that's what I know hobby. from, from, this is yeah. older. Uh -huh. Yeah, and they also still exist, but, uh, they also go into this hobby direction with, uh, like small tanks and planes and so on. Mm -hmm. And Moon Zaki, for example, just does professional cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Tamir, of course, is, is probably the biggest one, mm -hmm. but they are not, uh, that strong in the, in the professional sector, they are more broad in all the hobbyist styles with also model kits and so on. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so now um, 
we could talk forever for this, but uh, in white point, <laughs> we, <laughs> in white point, we have focused at least a little bit on Java. So you, uh, what, what I'm interested in. So you played on, uh, you, you hacked on terminal with, from your father. Then you got four eighty six, and uh, you wanted to play games. Which games? You remember the games? Wing Commander, I guess. Uh, no, no, it was not Wing Commander. I think it was kind of strategy game. So I could say it was Civilization, but I'm sure it was not Civilization. But something in my like memory, okay. it looked something like this. So like kind of overview strategy games. And um, yeah, I tried to get into adventures, but I was not, I'm not sure if I could really read back then or probably I couldn't read English. That was the problem. Yes. Okay. And how, so, how much um, time do you spend with computers back then? What, one hour a day, five hours, or all the time? So actually, there was a short time where I was very interested in the computer, and then I uh, kind of switched to, uh, like, the console gaming stuff, like, okay. really, like, toys, like Super Nintendo and so on, Super Nintendo PlayStation. Mm -hmm. And then there was really a longer period where I was not that actively uh, doing things with a computer or programming or whatever, and when when it started again, maybe maybe in school uh, or so, yeah. So at least programming, as I started uh, in high school, so German gymnasium, mm -hmm. yeah, with uh, basic, quick basic. We had a course there where this okay. was taught. So what I understood is you started hacking your father's terminal with three. Then you got four eighty six. How old were you back then? Uh, roughly, roughly. Roughly, roughly. Ten. So, um, younger than 10, probably. Yeah. Okay. There's, you played oh. Civilization strategy games. Then you switched to Nintendo and ca came yeah. back in gym gymnasium, which is high school. Yeah. And with 12, probably, right? 13, you started, you saw Visual Basic. Or... Uh, Quick Basic. Quick Basic. Then, okay, yeah. it's a DOS based. Okay. And yeah, uh, yeah. you liked Quick Basic? Um, yes, yeah, so it was all all I knew back then. Like this was the only programming concept I, I knew, and uh, so also then I was interested in making like text adventure stuff with it. Okay, but uh, I think we in in school we just learned the, the very basic control structures, mm -hmm. which meant uh, so I I didn't know about anything like subroutines or function or, or so. So in the end, the text adventure was a gigantic single file of uh, if else branching. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, and your very first line of code was Hello World in Quick Basic? Yeah, pretty sure. Quick Basic, Hello World, yeah. Perfect. So so your first programming language was Quick Basic and you enjoyed that from the first line or was it like, you know, terrible school assignment? No, 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 no. Uh, I enjoyed it. We even, uh, so back then it was not really part of the curriculum to... Um, to do programming in our uh, computer science class at high school. It was uh, more about learning how to use Word and PowerPoint, things like this, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, but we pushed the teacher to uh, like do programming with us. And I think <laughs> this is another, yeah, another, another colleague, he already was a little bit more into this and he then digged out all this quick basic tutorials and showed the teacher and said like, yeah, we should do this. Yeah. Okay. Poor teacher actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it. Okay. And, uh, so you stick with QBasic basic then how long, what, what was your next? So you, the first thing was in the school, it was one huge file and what it did was a text adventure or we did it something else. Yeah, there were text adventure things, and I know another thing was around Christmas time, like a advent calendar or something, or okay. basic, and then rendering like the tables in in the DOS console and things like this. Yeah, very cool. And uh, and the next thing after your uh, Christmas app, do you remember that? So, um, or you switch to a different I language? Know yeah, so in, um, when I when I then started the uh, Abitur, which I don't know if there is an English term for it, uh, we also got a different um, different computer science. So Abitur is the final exam in the high school in uh, Germany, I guess, also in Austria and in most European countries, right? So this is the Abitur. yeah, and you have like this three year period where you get prepared for this or do like all the the sub exams and so on. Yeah. 
Then we had a different uh, teacher, which was a super great math teacher also, and he was at the same time at university giving lectures there. So it was really, really high level of, of math and computer science he did with us. Like back then, most of us didn't understand it, but nowadays I think it was really awesome what he did with us. Uh, and there we, I'm not sure if we, he first showed us C++, but we also had Java then at one point. Oh. So I'm not sure which came first. Yeah. So, so you started with QBasic and then probably immediately started with Java. Yeah, or maybe C++, not sure. But okay. if I think about it, C++ would be weird, but maybe it was like this. And you know the Java version, roughly? Uh... Maybe 1.4? Is it even 1.4? So it was earlier than 5. So you are pretty young. So you are a youngster, actually, right? Yeah. Very good. So it's one, one of the youngest Java hackers I had on the show, probably. Except Dutchman. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so, now, so now I'm uh, 32. Yeah, so this is yeah, like a hipster, you know. So you should drive ah. tes Tesla, drink coffee, and uh, you have AeroPress. Um, so I'm very into coffee, yes. Yeah, but, um, me as well. Yeah, my my fiance uh, don't want me to get an AeroPress. She said like it's a useless device; just use a normal coffee machine. <laughs> but AeroPress is very cheap. Yeah, and I also think it's cool. And I always tell her like it's basically space technology behind it. Yeah, but uh, this is like you know the the plastic pipe with uh, with paper filter. What I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, it is space because the guy who invented Aeropress, he invented also the how it's called these the, the um, Aerobi is the company I think behind which uh, had world record in uh, world record in it looks like a boomerang. I don't know how it's called a frisbee, <laughs> okay. frisbee, frisbee. Yeah. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So we are both into coffee. Interesting. So it started with JDK one four, and I think in um and, and what was your impression of Java? So in in so what how was how how you like Java after knowing QBasic? So I know one of the first things he uh, wanted to show us was uh, was object orientation, mm -hmm. and the first thing back in school he showed us to highlight the possibilities of object orientation was polymorphic dispatch. Wow! And okay. Yeah, I would really. It would be interesting now to see the reaction of the of the pupils in 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 your classroom. Okay. Yeah, and I think it was just like empty faces, also not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, and uh, and you got it back then or no? Kind of, kind of, maybe rough the abstraction, but but not really what it what it means in the end. No. What I remember, my first contact with object was like, I said, what the teacher is talking about? I mean, at the end of the day, just, you know, bits. Why I should care about object and all the crap? I would just write whatever the computer understands and I'm over. And the whole no philosophy about writing something beautiful, whatever, doesn't doesn't count. This was my first impression with the whole object orientation, like, you know, some smart ass you know <laughs> invented something <laughs> no one is interested in and now we all have you know to to learn this strange philosophy this was the my first five minutes with object orientation as i saw it but yeah <laughs> um yeah cool and uh I, I also i remember another thing like we used a special java environment back then it was blue j yes hey cool based on that blue yeah and and you uh, liked that? but also like back, back then i didn't like it because it was stupid for me to click on the things to yeah. like create the objects and then make it call a function or a method. But now I think it's actually a good good idea to um, to teach the concepts. Yes. Yes. You know Scratch. Yes. Yes. It's also Perfect. similar. So at uh, one yeah. point I tried to, to do something with it. It's like oh man, this is so hard because I have to you know to find the the right block and just you know and and it is really hard to think visually because you know mm -hmm. you can program you can write everything quickly down with this whole thing but for starting is great because you cannot make you know syntax errors yes yes cool and and i think it, it gives also like ideas about how programming could look in the future that like programming is not writing characters but it's more like manipulating the syntax tree or whatever yeah, but what I think is uh, the future 
could be still ASCII. And uh, why I'm so sh almost sure is because if you look at the writers and all the people who who don't do programming, they they still enjoy something like Markdown. So uh, most of the people, high end professionals, they they have something like ASCII or Markdown, very simple technology, you know, to capture the thoughts and for creative work. So it could be something into text that if we look at text is simple and you are not distracted by colors. So I don't think the whole idea of visual programming is a good one, but yeah, it's just, you know, my thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you uh, in this, like to totally basically, but um, I don't think that the act of interacting with the source code should be by manipulating the characters or like, so I don't know, like if I'm um, using the uh, um, refactorings in IntelliJ or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, it feels really good, like really transforming the code in um, in steps that always like produce a, a kind of working program again after the step. Mm -hmm. So this is, I, I know Kent Beck also like is a little bit looking into this or talking about this, maybe more in the domain of small talk, not sure. But uh, yeah. So what you're saying is sometimes it is uh, it is good just to directly manipulate the AST without you no know, uh, mocking with uh, ASCIIs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, it's kind of a, a logical way to interact with it. And like, okay, with uh, with Java, we have at least a, a decent compiler that uh, catches a lot of stupid syntax errors or whatever. But uh, in, in other languages, sometimes you get really stupid bugs just by um, manipulating characters as your main uh, editing way. So absolutely true. So now, what you did, you know, the first serious project with Java, you remember, or fun project, doesn't have to be serious, something beyond Hello World. You remember that? Um, so in... Uh, in back Still in school, we uh, we did kind of a pet client, but with Blue J probably. Mm -hmm. And so, but I don't think we could really understand what we were doing back then. <laughs> okay, like network communications wise, also. Cool. So yeah, then then the first thing I really did for myself, where I would think it had kind of a purpose in any way, was then. Uh, in university where we also did Java all the time. And I, uh, I made like a small, uh, Java tool for like, like zipping, like, uh, compressing and, and uh, decompressing files. And I call it J compress probably. <laughs> By the way, yeah. this is this, I did something similar and I also did it in Java and probably it was also J zip or J compress. And, uh, the killer <laughs> feature I had is, I don't know why, but I had the use case where I had to split a large zip into uh, multiple floppies. Ah, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I and, I wrote, and I wrote a Java program to do that with, of course, Swing, uh, because I needed this for my own thing and uh, probably to transport, you know, the Java libraries because as, a, as, a, as I started with Java, there were not even collections. So we had, you know, to, to, to have collection libraries and all the jars and zips, they were quite big and also you know java studio workshop is well, like the one of the first uh or java workshop sun java workshop was one of the first ides and there was uh and so i wrote the program just to split to floppy so this was interesting i absolutely forgot about that but you remember me this okay yeah yeah so i was also uh i don't know if it was if it did splitting maybe it also did splitting not sure i think it came out of a exercise we had to do at university and then yeah. i wanted to make more in a, in a program thing Zip yeah. mm -hmm. Cool. And it worked? Mm, I think it worked, yeah. So I also went to the professor then, super proud. And I remember I remember the UI was like one window and then one button that was at, as big as the window that would say compressed or something like this. Yeah. Looking yeah, of like course. <laughs> Those are accessible application, right? So Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And there was a properly uh, no pink button with uh, lots of animations, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, definitely were some funky style stuff, yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, and, and, and then in the university, this was a university assignment, and after, did you do something else interesting at the university with Java? 
Yeah, so uh, our our university was very Java focused. So all the stuff we or, or most most courses would do stuff in in Java and would try to highlight different aspects of of our field uh, or like web programming or whatever, but always with with Java behind it most of the time. Okay. So we did funny stuff. We did like a, a snake game, a Tetris game. So I remember the games very clearly. Incredible. Um, where you started? Uh, what What you say? Where, where Where you started? Where was it? In which city was your university? Ah, okay. Yes, in uh, in Gelsenkirchen. It's uh, the exam was called Fachhochschule Gelsenkirchen. So cool. Fachhochschule is like University of Applied Sciences. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's called Westphalian University of Applied Sciences. Cool. A nice university. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you did some games and, and, and something else? Yeah, so... Um, then for, for bachelor, my bachelor thesis um, was uh, Android-based. Android so, of course, you also would program Java mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was um, um, like a, a audio guide thingy for a museum, but then on your phone. And mm -hmm. at this time, uh, NFC was just released, or uh, the NFC API in Android was just released. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to do something with NFC so that if you tap the phone at the uh, NFC marker in the museum, you would then see the information instead of scanning a QR code or whatever. Yes, and we thought this was a super cool idea. We also like wanted to make a company out of this and, and sell it to museums and so on. This uh, whole system, which consisted of a of a Android app and a yes content management system like backend. But uh, yeah, we found out um, museums don't have money, at least in, uh, in North Rhine-Westphalia. Mm -hmm. So it was not a fruitful endeavor. Okay, and. After university, so after you know failing as a museum startup, so what you, yeah. <laughs> what you, how you get the job? So what you did after the university? So you still stick with Java? Um, yeah, luckily, or what means luckily, but but yes. So I I did bachelor, master at the university, and then I joined um, uh, G Data, which is a, a security company, also here in the region, like them mostly famous for their antivirus software. But um, I was joining a new team that was developing more like like server um, server um, components or server-based systems for um, yeah special um, security fraud use cases in the financial sector, so to say. And there was a new um, team growing, and I was actually the first... Um, developer to join it and um yes then uh we start there with a spring application mm -hmm. oh no it was already spring boot it was the time when spring boot was released then and what your application did so it um uh i can't go too much into detail no no but just roughly just roughly i'm just interested yeah, just, just roughly so um there was a sensor component um, running in a in a browser somewhere as a JavaScript, mm -hmm. and then we had multiple backend components and the sensor running in a browser um, at a at a customer or whatever and a client uh, would check for like um, range stuff in the in the DOM in the rendered DOM or like maybe uh, malicious content coming coming in there and then uh, like but just uh, gather all the data and then the Backend system would um, uh, check for different um, indicators of of compromise or have like a risk factor scoring to see if the uh, site has been manipulated in the way it was rendered in the browser. So the main use case of this is um, uh, finding uh, banking trojan uh, manipulations. Yeah, cool. And uh, was it successful your Spring Boot service? It was super duper successful. Yes, cool. amazingly. <laughs> so it was uh, it was really um, one of the uh, I think it was really the first big mature project uh, I did and um, also with the team there and um, yeah we we hit all the deadlines pretty good the whole concept 
worked, so the, the general idea worked, um, like finding those banking fraudulence manipulations, it, it was it was really really good. So it, it's the beginning at least, and then of course the banking trojans start to adapt and try to evade and so on. But actually, what happened nowadays, banking trojans isn't a big market anymore. So that's the most yeah. thing. And and, and, and and you, how many trojans your software found back then? Can you remember this roughly, if you can tell it? Um, so there were two or three families that were active. Okay. And uh, we, they were very visible if they did the manipulation. Mm -hmm. And um, we definitely found it every every day. So wow. every day, maybe a couple, like, but less than 10, but probably one, two every day. Yes. Yeah, not bad. Actually, yeah, incredible. And uh, you still at GData? No, 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 no. So um, we uh, worked on the system a couple of of years, and also like a follow up system to this, adapted to a to a new online banking and so on. And um, then I switched to a code centric in Germany, a consulting company. Mm -hmm. um, Why? Beginning of you, you search for new year. challenges or? Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. So. Um, um, I, I was not sh so sure where, where the team and, uh, our, our subgroup was moving to in, in GData. And I was, yeah, interested in, in new challenges, definitely. And, uh, also just, just to see something different for, for change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then I went to consulting and concentric, uh, which was also great. Uh, but I was not that long there so actually just half a year and now i switched into academia and uh i'm actually back at the university where i started western university of applied sciences in the institute for internet security cool and um there i'm uh, leading and now the funny thing yeah i'm leading the block blockchain research group there blocked so I have to admit, <laughs> now now you are you're the hipster. So you have a blockchain. You you are interested in Aeropress, and with blockchain, actually, it is very likely that you will get uh, sooner Tesla, and uh, and yeah. So uh, 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 nice, but <laughs> just kidding. But uh, I think a blockchain. I mean, not the blockchain which uh, you know supports to make you millionaire, but the true blockchain is really really interesting. So we should uh, have a follow up about that because. Uh, it reminds me about a little bit about Git, how how Git works internally. With, so I mean, you know, the Merkle tree and so forth uh, is interesting mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. nice. So so now you are the dream job, right? Because uh, I mean, it's, it never gets boring. This is for me a dream job, right? Yes. So it, it definitely is a dream job. I also like. Um, so I'm also doing my my PhD there at this time, mm -hmm. um, and um, I came there. So there was no. No PhD, group. sorry. Uh, what was your topic of your PhD? Uh, this is yet to be defined, but it will be something about blockchain. <laughs> ah, this is very agile. So it means you can you do PhD and on the and the topic comes later. Lazy, lazy topic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I also like other PhD students like recommended this to me. Like have a just broad idea, uh, like start writing some first papers and then see where your story is heading to, and then make your actual uh, PhD, and then you make it. Formulative thesis, yeah, that seems to be an efficient way to do it. Yeah. It's actually cool. But as you said, it's really a, a dream job, so I could build up my team, um, have real cool international team now here, uh, quite big actually, with six people now, so which is big for this university and this lab. And um, yeah, really cool. I was before I was actually not interested in, in blockchain, uh, so when I got this offer from the professor, I thought like. Yeah, research would be cool, but blockchain, I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, also because of the hype stuff and so yeah, on, I was yeah. burned by the hype. Yeah. But if you look into it, it's it's just cool. It's cool distributed systems. Yeah, and, and challenging cool, cool because uh, I don't know what your topic is, but you know, to to getting the throughput through a blockchain is not is not that trivial. So I think it's really a really interesting topic. Yeah, yeah. So what the example you give is a good example because we are right now trying to get some like benchmarking frameworks or whatever ever to uh, like better assess non-functional uh, aspects of a blockchain system like throughput and so on cool 
And is uh, and I hope you're still doing Java, right? Um, yes. So um, the blockchain stuff, it's you mostly have clients in all kind of languages. Yeah. Um, but I I personally always recommend like also the students and so on that come join to do the stuff in Java or if you do some more black boxy stuff or or testing like just do the instrumentation with a uh, Groovy for example. So I'm I'm a big Groovy fan. In, Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I also like Groovy, but uh, the reason why I like Groovy is because uh, you can start with Java and very easily, you know, transform it to Groovy. So this is what I like the most. This is like I don't have to rethink the whole thing from the beginning. This is like you know PhD. <laughs> you can start <laughs> with Java and then make it more and more Groovy out of that. So you are not forced from the beginning to uh, to start with complete strange syntax. Yeah. So for me, um, especially some years ago, Groovy was just the more ergonomic Java in certain ways, mm -hmm. because it was ergonomic for me as a programmer to express my ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, Java is getting much better nowadays with the faster release cycle and the features coming in there. Um, yeah, but a couple of years ago, especially Groovy was uh, such a such a blast to write. I think. I actually won once uh, innovation award in Germany in 2006 or seven with Groovy. What I did is I ha I hacked my heating, and uh, uh, what I wanted to do is to load on demand the algorithm over the wire. And of course, with Java, I had you know to recompile it because Java is not dynamic language. So I loaded actually Java code as Groovy and was able to uh, to 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 swap the optimization algorithms on the go. Oh, very cool! Yeah, yeah, it was actually. You know, very simple and and primitive, but uh, I really like that. So, and the cool story yeah. was I can just use you know straight JUnit Java and to test the Groovy code. Then if it passed, I it was automatically uploaded and I knew it would work. So this was uh, why I really think Groovy is pragmatic language. Yes, definitely pragmatic language. So it's uh, sometimes it's um, if if you give it to a beginner or whatever, like maybe they can do too much wrong with it. So if you're not uh, experienced enough, but yeah, if you have a good team or so on, I, I think uh, Groovy is also a perfectly valid uh, language for real production code, especially if you activate the static compiling. Yeah, and and I think the uh, IntelliJ had something like how it's called was joint compiler where they were able to compile Java and Groovy at the same time, right? Uh, yeah, so with Maven, who also has this. Yeah. yeah, cool. So um and. Uh, Can you do whatever you like with the blockchain or someone is, expects from you something working or uh, an outcome or what? how does does it work? So we have different um, research projects where we also have to deliver certain deliverables or artifacts yeah. or whatever, like reports and so on. Okay. But um, yeah, so mostly you, you try to do this so that the project is happy and then you have the rest time to do the research you want to do it's kind of a compromise yeah okay so what would be really cool if you could you know uh as a collateral damage you know to publish some view uh, uh um libraries on, on github you know java libraries just you know to manipulate blockchain or whatever so this could be a nice outcome right Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I, I think I'm not sure, but I think most of the bigger uh, blockchain um, application or blockchain, what is it? Not frameworks, technologies, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, they they have uh, Java clients. Yes, yes, but whatever. But if you can, you know, open source whatever could, could yeah, be yeah. interesting, right? So, so definitely, if anything would come up, I'm also will will push everyone to put it on GitHub and so on. Sometime. Now, uh, now of course, personal or private question. So I saw. Uh, images from you and uh you look like uh so on one image you look like the uh, lead from motorhead and uh, <laughs> and this is what i forgot his uh, oh, lemmy lemmy yeah. right lemmy with a ford mustang i think or something similar to this and um, i think it was dodge defender yes uh, dodge and uh red yeah. dodge uh and electric guitar so i assume you can play guitar right yes And uh, what are you playing? So uh, I have actually a couple of bands, but yet one is a is a heavy metal band. Uh, so very 80s style classic heavy metal. The name is Iron Cobra. Iron Cobra. So you have your own band. 
Yes, yes, yes. We also have our own records, a couple of records, like two full-length albums. Currently working on the third one. Can you can you provide and me this to uh, to the show notes? So your band, the album, yeah. Then the car, Dodge. What was the name? Dodge. Dodge Defender, I think. Defender. That's actually a cool name. Dodge Defender. Yes. It's actually a really great name. Cool. So everything to show notes. I'm really interested. And uh, so now you know. Um, now you know more a hipster. So this is what where you saved. You know your your karma, because uh, I don't think the Aeropress and Tesla hipsters don't like heavy metal from 1980s, so now you're recovered. <laughs> Reputation is recovered, you know. And uh, Yeah, and which bands do you like, heavy metal band? So what is your, what are your favorites? Um, so of course, like, the, the classic heavy metal bands, things like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, but um, personally I'm even more into the 70s prog rock stuff and so on, like Rush is one of my all-time favorite bands, and also the classic hard rock bands, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, yeah. Okay, and uh, Metallica, you like Metallica? Um, I used to like it very much, nowadays not so much anymore, but the first three or four albums, at least, yes, I really love them. And and from the you know guitar play skills, so from the players, it's like uh, what are the best Metallica or the others one or I don't know. So what's your impression? I would say one of the best is uh, the old uh, guitar player from the Scorpions, Uli John Roth. Oh really? Who's also from Germany, and he's still active, not with the Scorpions, but as a solo player. And yes, I think it's one of he's one of the best. But that's that's actually interesting, and and. When you started playing guitar? Um, when I was around 16. Okay. And uh, how long did it took until something, you know, how to call it, uh, audible came out? So, I, I mean, could you play immediately or it takes several weeks on how, how, how much do you have to practice? So what's, what's the guitar, guitar <laughs> road to be a rock star? So it takes a couple of weeks, for sure, until you have like maybe some easy riffs. You can play like a smoke on the water, or one of the first I learned was TNT from ACDC or something like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, then luckily we just formed a band real quick. Like we were all too bad to play in a band actually, but uh, we still did it, and this helped enormously. So I was from the very beginning. I was always playing in bands, and um, I think this was the key learning motivation to always go on learning. Cool. And how good are you uh, now? Can you play whatever you like from G Jimi Hendrix, let's, let's say? Or uh, or is it possible? Would you manage to do this or not? <laughs> yeah, so I, I would say I'm a, I'm from the from the playing style. I'm a, I'm a classic bluesy hard rock guitar player. Okay. So. Things that fall into this region, I can mostly learn quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Not as perfectly as Jimi Hendrix playing, but uh, yeah, I, I can I can bring the musical idea uh, around. I think so. Yes, this is an area where I'm I'm good. I hope or, or good enough. <laughs> so so all, all that has this bluesy rock feeling. So um, bluesy rock feeling was this the top? Is this bluesy rock feeling? Also this, yes, yes. So it's like, um, so some hard rock things and so on. It's, it's just like blues played faster, blues played, played harder from a theoretical, uh, music theoretical standpoint, mm -hmm. like no choices and so on. And those kinds of things I, I can comfortably play. But if you would look into things like, like country or jazz or whatever, that's where I'm not so comfortable. So there I have to struggle more and I'm not good in improvising stuff. Or so something like BB King, can you play that? Yes. yes. So Thrill is Gone. Yes. yes. So right. I, I also have like a blues uh, band, or I'm part of a blues uh, blues uh, band um, where we never rehearse. We just meet for the concert, and then it's all improvisation mostly. And yeah, there we play BB King and stuff. Yeah, this is what I wanted to ask you: whether it is possible that if you listen to a, to a song and then you can roughly play it without practicing, is it possible? Or yes, okay. Yes. This is what I always was curious to know. How? Good. <laughs> yeah, okay, perfect. So now, um, yeah. sorry for so the distraction. Especially, yes? especially in blues, it's very possible because in blues, blues has a very, uh, very simple, simple, but not not in a bad way, but simple uh, theoretical structure underneath. 
Mm-hmm. So um, if you follow those rules, then you can't make that many mistakes. And then, of course, the art is knowing when and how to break the rules. Yeah. This is uh, the same as software engineering a little bit, right? Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, if you if you write every, everywhere, you know, five layers, uh, most of the time, you know, four, four of the layers are uh, superfluous. Okay, now, sorry for the distraction, but I, the, the actual topic was test containers. So when you started with the idea of test containers? So um, I'm not the... Um founder of test containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so test containers was, I, I have here some notes to give you the correct dates, has been the first release 2015 from uh, Richard North. Mm-hmm. And um, I joined at the uh, third maintainer. So the other, so the maintainers are Richard North, Sergey Egorov, and I jo- joined as a third one. And um, my Journey started, I think it was 2016 at mm-hmm. the Socrates conference, uh, Socrates conference in Germany, which is a software craftsmanship and testing conference. Okay. And there someone gave a talk about a JUnit 5 extension he wrote uh, for Docker, which was uh, annotation based. So you would annotate your test classes with like uh, add Docker extension something, then the image, then it would Spin up uh, the container for your test class, and um, I totally liked this idea. And we also needed it back then in our project. So when I came back, I um, uh, kind of rewrote this idea for a Spock extension. So Spock is a Groovy testing framework we were using extensively back then, and um, we used it then internally, and it had the same uh, concept. So you put an annotation at your class or at your method and then uh, it would start the container for the class or the method and um, I so we used it internally and I also open sourced it and some people from other uh, companies friends were also started using it and liking it and then uh, Sergey from test containers raised an issue in my uh, github project uh, and asked if uh, it's not better if I would join test containers and basically migrate my Spock extension to use test containers. Okay. And are the other maintainers are still active or are you the chief maintainer right now? Yes, yes, the others are, are active. So um, it, like with open source projects, I think often it comes like in, in waves where a certain person is more active than others and then like after some months it, it takes over or whatever. But um, we three have been very persistent in maintaining it, uh, I, I hope at least. And um, I think from a from a poor code contribution side, Richard and Sergey are um, like doing more than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'm I'm joking that I'm more like an evangelist, like speaking a lot about it, giving talks or whatever. But they do the actual work. But um, yeah, we we are all all active. But I think at the moment they are contributing more code than me. You could even create a, a song about test containers, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and like play at conferences, this could be actually a fun. Yes, maybe we could. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you know why Richard North started test containers? What was his idea? Or what was the, his first commit or why? So I, um, I, back then he was in, in Japan working uh, for some converting company or something. And I'm pretty sure it even has something to do with blockchain because back then uh, they were like doing some kind of like repair work or whatever like there was this big japanese blockchain company and they got broke yeah where the majority had to be found in order to merge back you know the the things right uh what what do you mean there was by blockchain the exodus where they had I think a bug or something and uh, the problem was the bug could be only fixed if the majority of miners could join forces. Ah yes, they made the they made the hard fork. Yes, yes. Yeah, maybe yeah. it was something related to this, or maybe the the company was just fraudulent, whatever. Uh, but I think they got kind of, the company got uh, like broke, but then their consulting company had to uh, look uh, into the stuff and gather some data from the systems or whatever. And I think there was some use case where he like needed to 
I don't know, do do database stuff or so on, or like test database stuff in a, in a reliable way. And he found out it was a big pain for uh, for the team to have this uh, shared database instances in uh, CI and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's roughly the story. And then he came up with the idea of test containers and um, having this kind of ephemeral um, in uh, infrastructure components and For me also, it was back then exactly this use case why we needed it. It was uh, for Postgres database and like just having the database uh, in the state you want on every developer's machine every time and not having to come up with some clever tricks in the CI to manage multiple test databases or schemas or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And uh, was it uh, Java from the beginning, the test containers project? Yes, so the test containers project was Java from the very beginning. Uh, my own Spock extension, which, as I said, started without uh, test containers at first, um, was then a mix of Groovy and Java. Yeah, but JVM-based, so almost Java, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, do you know, you know, the very first test containers usable version, what it did, it was like you had, you know, to say new... Test containers, pass the Docker image and start. Was it like that or was it different? You know this? Um, so I'm pretty sure it directly started with the JUnit for integration. Okay, with rule. Um, because, exactly, the JUnit rule integration, because uh, the JUnit rule integration is super hard coded into our code base. Okay. Uh, which is not, not good, of course. This is a. Uh, an impediment we know we have to fix and we are slowly progressing towards removing this hard integration. But yeah, therefore, I think uh, it was always, or back then when it started, it was really the idea that the API is a JUnit rule. And just after some time and getting in, uh, support for different test frameworks, we um, realized that the actual core should be test framework agnostic and also that this... Um, API you described, like instantiating a container and then starting it, this uh, this can even be a, a um, an uh, API or, or a library um, that has nothing to do with testing, that is just an object-oriented abstraction of Docker containers. Yes, this is this is my this is what I wanted to ask you. Why why the project the name is Test Containers? For me, it looks like a nice API to Docker. So I don't have you know to use the Docker CLI. I can use Java instead. So for me your whole thing has nothing to do with testing. Yeah, so um, sadly it, ha it still has at the moment, but you're right. So uh, we also observed that um, many users really love the API for all kinds of use cases when they want to interact with um, Docker containers. But since it really uh, originated with the idea of having ephemeral containers for testing, and that's one of the core problems, that this uh, ephemeral concept is built into the into the very heart of test containers, um, meaning that um, at least the lifecycle of the containers will bound will be bound to the uh, JVM process lifecycle, mm -hmm. which then means for certain use cases where you just want to have this Docker API, you can't use test containers since the containers will be removed when the JVM exits. Yeah, and yeah, the JVM is more or less like a watchdog which observes the actual container, right? Yeah, so it's a combination in our architecture nowadays. So initially, we had an, uh, an, a second thread running in the JVM that would um, then uh, remove the containers, also remove the containers on uh, JVM exit. But um, of course, as you know, with shutdown hooks, you don't have the guarantees that they always get executed, especially if you would send a sick kill or whatever. And um, therefore, we... Um, We um, extracted this functionality into another Docker container that is spawned by test containers. And this Docker container uh, is called Ryuk, and it's kind of our test container sidecar container. We have a super tiny Go programming running inside it. And um, the JVM is communicating with this container to clean up resources, and it's also sending a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And um, if the JVM stops sending the heartbeat, then the container will start cleaning everything up. Uh, for what you need the Go library for what to 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 tightly integrate with Docker? What's the idea of the? Yeah, so um, we just wanted to have a, a tiny container, and um, therefore we could just use a Scratch container with a small Go binary, 
And we thought uh, for interacting with the Go API, it's also nice to uh, just use um, with the Docker API to just use Go directly. But we found out so using the Docker API from Go is also not a great experience. But yeah, so, yeah. so the main use case of uh, of Go back then was uh, to have a super slim uh, sidecar container. Maybe you... nowadays, I think we sometimes discuss to do it with GraalVM or whatever. But yeah, Quarkus. The time so if Quarkus would be easier as a Quarkus wraps already GraalVM, but uh, the outcome is Go-like library. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So maybe in the future this is something that, that we could look into it, yeah. Also, so, so there for, are other for the listener, sorry, for the listener, just to summarize, uh, uh, so, for, so what the simplest possible, let's uh, uh, hello world in um, with test containers would be, I think new gen, you have to add one dependency to Maven, then say new generic container, I think, and pass the name of the container. And I now the, the image, yes. Yeah, and the killer feature is now, first filler feature is, if you say start, it waits until it starts. And uh, what I understood is you have different hooks, like, you know, almost like um, readiness probes where you can ask the container, I will alive, you can parse logs or do whatever. So you will block at this point of time, which is for me the killer feature because knowing when the container is up is the main challenge always. And uh, then this is the next cool thing is I can ask the container, what is the actual IP address and what is uh, the uh, host or name? Because the IP address, if you, I can start, you know, 20 Postgres databases and they will launch on different uh, ports because otherwise I would get collision. This is how to describe the Hello World, right? Yes. So also you highlighted exactly the points where I think um, test containers is most valuable. The one thing is that we give strong guarantees about the readiness of the application inside the container with mm -hmm. our wait strategies. And you described it very nicely. We have kind of different probes. We call them wait strategies. We have a log-based wait strategy, port-based wait strategies, or uh, we can also rely on Docker health check if it's implemented in the image. And the other thing is that we... Um, um, so this uh, dynamic port binding stuff, which is also just a Docker feature we use, but then we give you an API to easily find out um, how you can uh, reach the container. And for certain special container implementations like the database ones, we uh, even give you directly an API to uh, get the JDBC URL. And not only JDBC URL, you, you get the instance of the JDBC driver. Uh, yes, this is also possible. And this is uh, like an... Um, we also have a special um, test containers JDBC driver you can use. And in this case, it will be like a proxy to your actual JDBC driver. Mm -hmm. And um, then once the JVM requests a connection to this JDBC driver, uh, test containers will transparently launch a container underneath. And uh, this means you get this like H2 experience with test containers. Yeah. So what it means for me, I could write uh, for me, I just call it integration test. You have different names, but uh, for me, I could just launch in my world a, a the entity manager and behind the entity managers, JPA entity manager would be, for instance, Hibernate or Eclipse Link and they launch and they need um, a connection to a database in my integration test. So what I will do, there will be one annotation before class where I launch the Postgres database, or even before, but it's quickly enough, so I could have a fresh database for every test. And then uh, it launches. I, I fetch the uh, port number, because host is localhost. Username and password are the same. Pass it to the entity manager, can test, and after that, that either I can say stop and then restart it, so I always get a fresh image, or I can keep the database running. This is my choice. This would be the sequence, right? Yes, but it's not always localhost. So you should not use localhost. You should uh, call get container IP address also and construct it like this. So get container IP address plus get port mm -hmm. because um, you don't know where the Docker daemon is running. So you could have a remote Docker daemon oh, and you would get yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is already new. So you are also supporting remote container daemons? Yes, yes. And like completely transparently. And so our... Uh, our goal is that uh, the code should run the same on the developer machines as in your CI environment. Mm -hmm. Especially in CI, people often have different setups. And uh, test containers tries to be like a little bit clever and opinionated about the discovery of the Docker environment. Okay. 
how you communicate with Docker? Are you using the REST interface or uh, or are you using uh, yeah direct GNI? Uh, we are using the REST uh, interface of the Docker socket. So on um, mm -hmm. uh, on Unix on Linux actually on Linux you have of course the Unix socket to talk uh, with um, with uh, with the Docker daemon. Mm -hmm. um, and on Windows, because of the way Docker for Windows works, you have to use a named pipe um, to do the actual communication uh, over the pipe or over the socket. We used to use Netty, um, but we switched to OK, uh, OK HTTP at one point. How so it's called? Oh, 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 and... OK HTTP, you said? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, but uh, we we didn't write the um, integration code or the API code ourselves, so we are using Docker Java for this, which is another library, mm -hmm. which uh, is just um, the um, yeah the API, the very very uh, clean or very direct API uh, translation into Java. So it's not object oriented or just it's just like the REST API, but you can call it from Java kind of mm -hmm. and. Uh, also, uh, Sergey, one of our maintainers, now uh, is um, involved in, in this library because we are one of the main uh, users, and um, uh, we try to um, contribute back some of the changes or some of the things we we see a need for uh, with going forward for test containers and also the Docker Java experience. Okay. So, from my impression, uh, so uh, uh, first uh, the, the first feedback uh, re regarding the hard coding the the rule in units. I think this is right thing to do at the beginning of the project to hard code as much as possible. Otherwise, you are just you know playing with abstractions and and you forget what you would actually would like to 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 implement. This is uh, a way easier afterwards. If something is working in a project, get popular to refactor the project, then from the beginning hit the right abstraction. So I think. Uh, yeah, so hard coding, I think, is a good thing because otherwise your code becomes, you know, too complicated from day one. And uh, from uh, from from the test containers perspective, what what I th really think should happen in one point of time, you know, to split the container into parts, like you know, the container part and the test part, because the waiting for a container to start and you know, uh, manipulating a Docker container, injecting things, reading, you know, is incredibly valuable as well. And uh, testing is one part, but you know the uh, just launching the whole stuff uh, is, is incredible. You could actually write your own small Kubernetes, you know, with your thing just to start. <laughs> yeah, just to, just for fun, just to start starting and stopping containers. This is what you can very easily do. Yeah. So um, we, as, as as a team, as maintainers, uh, totally agree with you on on this thing. So that's also where we want to go to, and that's like one of the goals for test containers 2.0. But um, one of the of the challenges of uh, of open source project, even especially now since uh, it, it gets a bigger adoption and more people start using it, like um, so this 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 bigger refactoring or, or separation is something you need to do like a real one time big joint effort. It's mm -hmm. like not that many small steps, or you you can't go on with so many small steps in this direction. So I think we kind of need at one one time to do like small hackathon together or whatever just meet with the maintainers for a weekend and uh going forward because else we will just go on talking about this and uh it's hard that someone just starts the work on it uh, also while at the same time feature development and, and bug requests go on yeah yeah completely ag agreement so um how how big or complex is the project because the dependencies are pretty thin so is it what is the challenge actually in in in, in test containers the uh changing docker api or what's what's actually the main challenge developing the whole thing um so you mean in general yeah yeah so um since um it's mostly integrative stuff integrative stuff we do um a lot of our tests are also integration tests, and um, those integration things are um, sometimes kind of complex because of the edge cases and the environment-specific cases. So I think uh, one of the biggest um, challenges, for example, was to get uh, good Windows support in there. 
So you would think, uh, okay, you just interact with Docker. It should be the same in every environment. But um, like Docker for Windows had so many different quirks, uh, so many specifics, and this was quite tough. And so we are supporting at least three different um, Docker uh, implementations or Docker setups, even more actually, but the main ones are just Linux, where you directly interact with a um, Docker daemon. Then you have uh, Docker for Mac, where Docker is already encapsulated in this tiny Linux version machine, but you're still running on a Unix system. And then you have Docker for Windows, where you again have a small Linux virtual machine running the Docker stuff, but then you're running on a Windows system. But from the outside, Windows wants you to get the impression you are interacting with Docker directly on your local host, and just all kind of weird edge cases happen, especially mm -hmm. if you're having more complex things. And then if you go into the CI world, things come even more become even more complex in certain Kubernetes setups or whatever. You have certain constraints on the uh, on the Docker daemon or on the way the uh, um, the containers get uh, configured, like uh, namespacing restrictions or whatever. And yes, then it's sometimes extremely hard to debug um, bugs people have in their own CI environment. And um... What are you doing? Are you developing Linux, uh, Windows, and Mac at the same time, or just focusing on Linux, or what's your job? Um, so uh, as a team, yeah. um, the other two are having Macs, so therefore the local development they are doing uh, always ensures Mac compatibility, so to say. Uh -huh. um, and I'm mostly on, on Linux, and for back then I was the only one like uh, that also had a Windows to do the testing on Windows. Mm -hmm. um, but but luckily we were able to uh, integrate uh, Windows into our CI now uh, after switching to uh, Azure DevOps pipeline, I think it's called nowadays. And um, so now we have this. This helped tremendously to at least. Uh, uh, give an idea if the changes are breaking Windows or not. So we are striving to support all three at the same time since we achieved this baseline now. So we don't want to want to drop this baseline. But uh, of course, only uh, recent uh, Windows with Win uh, Docker for Windows. So mm -hmm. people with the Docker for Toolbox stuff on Windows, it's kind of supported, but not specifically. Yeah, cool. Um, the problem is I have probably 100 others questions for, for, for now and um, this would be too long and uh, one thing is I don't uh, agree with your testing strategies so, I, I mean we are exactly opposite what, what you are promoting and what I, I am thinking and what I would suggest is that uh, we have another episode of the podcast if you have time and without any introduction, we'll just talk uh, about test containers and the actual process of testing because I had so many issues with uh, with integration unit tests without test containers, and I would like to uh, to talk with with you about the challenges and uh, how how what uh, why CI is still valuable on its own and stuff like that. Um, oh yeah, I would love to do this. <laughs> yeah, so then uh, we should do this. Um, we try to schedule a a. A date probably this year, it will be great because otherwise we forgot what we actually chatted about. And this would, without Hello World, just, you know, go straight to the topic. And uh, I would be interested in, you know, black box, white box, unit test, system tests, and stress tests. This is what I'm doing uh, because I'm, I'm a consultant. I have to deliver software and for working with teams. And we are thinking about how to do that. So, okay. So, um, if you're okay with it, we will stop now and, and uh, do another episode about specifically about testing. And then, if you don't mind, next year about blockchain, of course, this would be great. But uh, where can people find you? Your band, Iron Cobra, of course. And uh, yes. yeah, so what's your Twitter handle? So my Twitter handle is uh, Kiviu or Kiviv, if you want to speak in German. Mm -hmm. And your and band homepage or your website or GitHub repository. So, so let me quickly check if it's, yes, it's a. Uh, ironcobra.de mm -hmm. there you can find us there's also a link to uh, to Bandcamp uh, where you can uh, listen to all our records and all the stuff mm -hmm. uh, and yeah I'm basically everywhere in the web I'm uh, Kiviv or, or Kiviu so uh, also my GitHub uh, 
similar uh, profile name also give you like uh, Twitter. Can uh, the listeners enjoy you on YouTube? They will see your in action with guitar. Uh, yes, probably. Let me Google. So if you if you Google for Iron Cobra, you will find uh, live videos. Yeah, yes, cool. and also songs, and then you can also see me see me playing. So thank you. <laughs> so I will I will watch it right away. So um, thank you, and uh, see you soon. And to talk with you about test containers, right? Yeah, thanks. It was great talking to you. And yes, I'm really looking forward to talk uh, to you in more detail about uh, testing strategies because it's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So thank you and bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.